Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. According to our Lord Jesus, his disciples have a two-part calling, a two-part vocation. He says that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Familiar words, and frankly, they're often treated interchangeably, as if Jesus uses two different images when he really could have just gotten away with one. Or like I saw this week on the internet, Becky shared with me, we are disciples, we are salty and lit. That's what we are as disciples. Is that all that Jesus is saying? Because there's actually some really fundamental differences between salt and light. More on that in just a moment. But we do need to recognize that in the most important way, they do share the most important thing in common. Because when we hear that we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world, I think it's natural to feel kind of overwhelmed, right? To be a little bit intimidated because it's like, Lord, I'm not sure that I have the wattage or the sodium in order to carry out that calling, to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Who am I? Incidentally, I mean, you look throughout the scriptures and this is the reaction, the response of person after person whom God calls. Moses is like, Lord, I don't speak so good. You sure you don't want somebody else? And he's like, don't care. You're still mine. This is how God works. But see, it's so important we recognize that what both you are the salt of the earth and what you are the light of the world hold in common, which is the promise of Jesus. I want you to notice, he doesn't say, you should have the light of the world. He doesn't say, you better be the salt of the earth. What does he say? You are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is your identity even before it is your vocation. This is who you are in him because you belong to Jesus. It's not just the kind of thing that you check in and check out of. All right, let's go do a little saltiness today. But instead, this is who you are. Your whole being is wrapped up in him because he, first and foremost, is that salt, the one who has preserved the decaying world because he, first and foremost, is that light the one who has shined in the darkness now because you belong to him, because you are in him. That's who you are too. It's something that simply happens by virtue of your belonging to Christ. Both those images capture that aspect of our identity and thus our vocation, our calling as disciples in the world. So I want to lay that foundation. But then when we look at these two images, we notice, you know what? There are some real differences between salt and light. I mean, think about it. What is salt? Salt is meant to be kind of in the background, subtly seasoning. If you can see a whole bunch of salt on your steak, something has gone wrong, right? It's meant to be in the background. It's meant to be hidden, as it were. Whereas light, by its very nature, is visible, right? It's out there. It's apparent. Salt speaks to kind of our personal piety, whereas light speaks to our public presence. Both of them accent different things, and it seems like there's a kind of contradiction in there. So which is it? Are we supposed to be hidden in the background like salt? Or are we supposed to be public and visible out there like light? And Jesus' response is, of course, yes. Yes. 
It's not a contradiction. It's one of these paradoxical teachings of our Lord. He wants us to hold both of these realities in tension. Because if we lose either one, if we're only the salt of the earth and we neglect the light of the world, if we're only focusing on being light and neglect that saltiness, in either case, if we lose part of that calling, the world suffers. God's good creation is the worst for wear. Those who do not know him, they're the ones who get the raw deal. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world, both at the same time. And so with the rest of our time this morning, I want to meditate on this, this paradox, this tension that we live in, in this vocation of discipleship. Think about how it goes wrong if we only emphasize one or the other and how it goes right when we live in that place where God has put us as both salt and light. So let's start with the first temptation, which I would say is to only focus on being the light of the world. All light, no salt. And I think it's understandable. Jesus himself says, look, this light cannot be hidden. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine, right? think this is what's most important. This is what the world needs more than anything else is Christians out there in public proclaiming and announcing the kingdom of God, being forthright with their faith in the Savior. Yeah, there's absolutely a lot of truth to that. I think back to in the 90s in my high school years and there was this popular Christian song, maybe some of you guys remember this, from the Newsboys, right? Shine, shine, make them wonder what you got. Anybody remember this? <laughs> then the next line Almost sounds kind of vindictive. Make them wish that they were not on the outside looking in. You're like, oh, okay, that's kind of harsh, but all right, shine! Actually, I heard the Muzak version of it at Chick-fil-A recently, so <laughs> it's beautiful, it's so beautiful. But it gives, it accents, it emphasizes an important message that you are the light of the world. We ought to shine. That's our calling. Arise, shine, for the light has come. This is who you are in Christ. Get out there. Don't hide it. It's true. But if that's all we emphasize, I think we, we miss an important aspect of this calling as well. If all we focus on is the light, it can really lead to a dangerous position. And how so? You know, over the last, say, decade, there have been many, much too many moral failures, big public catastrophes in the church pastors and leaders of Christian ministries who have fallen into grievous and public sin. Names like Ravi Zacharias and Bill Hybels and Mark Driscoll. And if you guys don't know these names, it's not so important, except to say that these are folks who were big movers and shakers in American Christianity. And to a person, I think that they would say that what were they after? What was most important to them? Well, we've got to be out there. We've got to be the light of the world at whatever cost. We'll do whatever it takes to make sure the message is known. And you know what? That might sound good. It might even sound noble or even holy. And yet if that's your sole focus, it can lead you to a very dangerous place. You start, be willing, you start being willing to justify un-Jesus means for the sake of supposedly Jesus ends. No, we need to hold in tension the fact that we are the light of the world, but we're also the salt of the earth. Yes, we have that public presence and proclamation, 
but also the personal piety, the quiet holiness of a life lived in fellowship and friendship with Christ Jesus. See, when we lead visibly hidden lives of discipleship, we honor our Savior. We honor our Savior. We do make known His name. But also, we're not afraid to be in the background and to recognize and trust in His promise that nothing is hidden that will not yet be made manifest. Nothing is secret that will not be made known. Jesus says, it's not possible for the city on the hill to be hidden. We can trust in that promise. He is working through us. And our light is a borrowed light. Because we reflect the light from him. And so then there's this first temptation only to focus on being the light of the world. It's an understandable one, I say, but we need to keep it in tension and balanced with the fact that we are visibly hidden. But if it's true that we can just focus on being the light of the world, it's also the case that there's this other temptation only to focus on being the salt of the earth. And I would say that in our Lutheran tradition, this is more common. You might call it like the Wobegon temptation, right? You think of Garrison Keillor and the, the Lutherans of Lake Wobegon. Oh, I'm just going to lead a quiet Christian life, never bother anybody, certainly don't want to saddle them with the, the good news of the gospel. And I, I don't want to give that short shrift either. There's something to be said. There's much to be said for Christians leading faithful, quiet lives, for there to be those who are willing to serve in ways that are unnoticed and unrecognized by the world. There's that beautiful quote by George Eliot. I've mentioned it before in her novel, Middlemarch. She says that the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. See, as Christians, as we lead lives of the, the salt of the earth, we are willing and able to be in the background and to subtly season our neighborhood. But there is a difference between subtly seasoning and blandly blending in. It's not always clear, and it takes spiritual discernment, but we have a call not just to be hidden, but also to be visible. Many of you have heard me share the moment from a few years ago when I was at the Arcadia Township visioning session, and some of you who are in this room were there too. A great number of people from the township, like 100 people, which is a lot for us in Arcadia, showed up to these meetings where it was uh, envisioning the future of our township. And as part of the meeting, we broke up into different tables. There were maybe a dozen tables in the room. And at each of the tables, we were asked as our first question to ponder what are some of the assets that we have in our community, in Arcadia? What are some of the really good things that we have going for us already here in Arcadia? And they said it could be anything. It could be businesses, organizations, natural features, and so forth. And so you heard the kind of things that you, were ex that you expected as people went through the room and again and again they talked about our shoreline, Lake Michigan, and all the work that the Conservancy has done, the marsh and the trails. They talked about Arcadia Bluffs and Camp Arcadia. But you know what not a single person said, except for this guy? Trinity Lutheran Church. And it broke my heart. And at that moment, I prayed and said, Lord, let this be different. Grant that in five years, 10 years, if we hold another one of these meetings, 
And people are asked, what are the greatest assets to our community? That to a person, they would say, Trinity Lutheran Church. I might not darken the door of that congregation, but I know that that church is salt and light for our community. Now, friends, that meeting was three and a half years ago now. And by God's grace, we are well on the way, are we not? God is working in you and through you because you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And he is making us not the best-kept secret in Arcadia anymore, right? But that we would be not only hidden and also visible. When we follow in the footsteps of our Savior, we're not ashamed or afraid to bear witness to the hope that is in us. We're not worried about just staying in the background, but we're willing to come out and to speak forth boldly of what Christ has done for us and desires to do for all. This is the life of discipleship, the calling, the vocation to be visibly hidden. And what does that look like? What does it look like then to live in that tension, to lead faithful lives of discipleship that are visibly hidden? Well, how much time do we have? Uh, (laughs) Let me just give you three examples, and I know that you all could mention many more. In fact, sitting in these pews, we have many more examples, but let me give you just three. First one from the scriptures. Think of Dorcas, who overcame the name Dorcas. (laughs) God bless her. She's also known as Tabitha. That was probably her middle name. It's Dorcas Tabitha. I prefer to go by Tabitha. Uh, But there's this moment, just a a brief anecdote that's recounted in the book of Acts when it talks about Dorcas, and she dies. Now, many people died in the course of those early days of the church, but in this case, suddenly there was this groundswell, a grassroots effort, as folks are banging on the door of the disciples saying, appeal to God on her behalf. We can't get by without Dorcas, right? Pastors, come and go, right? We can trade one another of those ones. But if we lose Dorcas, we are in deep trouble. Dorcas was known for her her acts of charity and her good works, those small and subtle things that happen in the community that make such a big difference. And you know what? God heard their cries and brought Dorcas back to life. He's like, you're right. You guys are in trouble if you don't have Dorcas. I'm bringing her back. She lived a visibly hidden life. Incidentally, we now have uh, honoring her in one of our Sunday school classrooms, too. There you go, the Dorcas classroom. A second example comes from uh, early on in my ministry, at our first parish, a man whom I'll call Tom. And Tom was one of these guys who spoke softly, carried a big stick, right? Always there, Sunday by Sunday, always sat in the back pew, And you know what, in my early days of being a pastor, if I was uh, feeling especially grumpy, I might have looked at somebody like Tom and thought, oh, he's just one of those quietest Lutherans. Yeah, he shows up to church every week, but he never really talks about his faith. He's not serious about it. But then over the years, I would have conversations with folks in the congregation, and often I would ask them, you know, how did you you come to faith Lutheran? How did you end up here at our church? And I kept hearing over and over and over again, Oh, you know, I got to know Tom by hanging out at the, the local cafe, and sure enough, one day he invited me to come to church. I was like, you know what, I want to be more like Tom. I'm going to go to church. And other folks would say, yeah, I, you know, I got to know Tom. I worked with him on the force for many years, and there was not a man of more upstanding character and integrity. I asked him, Tom, what's the secret? And he said, I, I go to church. 
And so I started coming to church too, over and over and over again. I kept hearing, I looked around, I said, oh my goodness, half of our church is due to Tom and his witness. And one more thing about Tom, when I got there, we were in the midst of a building campaign and it kind of foundered on the rocks. We were running out of money. It looked like it just might not happen. It was kind of a shame. And one day, a check shows up from an anonymous donor. I knew who it was from. Nobody else did. And he didn't want anybody else to know. I'll tell you guys, it was Tom. Again, not his real name. Uh, and I won't tell you how much it was for, but there were a lot of zeros involved. He didn't want anybody to know. That was Tom. A life of visibly hidden discipleship. Okay, one more. Uh, from, from my childhood, a dear neighbor. At least that's what I would call him. I think he would call me that too. Uh, this dear neighbor, he, when he was a kid, he got picked on all the time, beat up and bullied. But you know what? He had this firm faith in Jesus, and he resolved right there and then that he was going to devote his life's work to spreading the grace of God. He didn't know yet how God would call him, what his job would be. And as it ended up happening, he ended up going into a line of work that when he looked at it, he said, oh man, that's really ugly. That's really bad. And for precisely that reason, I need to go into it. He went into that line of work, but his real calling was to be what I've come to think of as like a giant ear. He was a giant ear who was always listening, always attentive, would treat every person like they were the only person. That was his real vocation of discipleship. And you might think it was a little thing, but you know what? When he died, nearly 3,000 people showed up to his funeral. And his obituary was on the front page of almost every major newspaper. You might know my neighbor. Maybe he was your neighbor too. He was called Fred Rogers. <laughs> the Reverend Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. He was brought into the limelight, but he never sought it. He seeked to live a life of visibly hidden discipleship. And you know, all those examples do share something else that salt and light have in common which is the fact they're little. One little grain of salt, one little light of mine. And when you look at how little they are and how big the world is, you think, how is that possible? How can my little life actually make a difference? Know this. By the grace of God, he can and does make much of the little the overlooked, the, ne the neglected. He is able to make much of you. Whatever is offered up to him in faith, he expands and extends in ways beyond your knowing that you may well not even see in this lifetime. Because when we live lives of hiddenly visible and visibly hidden discipleship in the economy of the kingdom, little things make an eternal difference, and your Father is glorified. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith.